Hi everyone, it's uh, Cam. Uh, welcome to the Boney Podcast. This is our very first episode in 2019. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year, guys. And Fahim's here as well. Of course, I'm always here with Cam. You know the duo. <laughs> and um, today we have a very special guest. Uh, his name is Mo. Mo, do a shout out. Hello. Hi, guys. How's it going? Happy New Year to everyone. And thank you, Boney, for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Not at all. Not at all. And uh, Mo <coughs> is the uh, founder of the Instagram page, Bangladesh.story. Super interesting. Yeah. So, Mo, why don't you tell us a little bit about your page? Yeah. So, it's uh, it's a, just a brand new initiative I started uh, this year. So, basically, it's a page that talks about uh, Bangladeshi history, but also history, Bengali history in general. So, anything like pre-1971 and post-1971. And what I try to do through the page is effectively just uh, post images of different uh, periods of history, different events, different people. And I just have a short bio or a short caption that just sort of uh, describes what's going on and uh, what's it about. And uh, ultimately, the purpose of the page is uh, to educate and to inform. Great. So, you know, the goal of uh, Boney has always been to spotlight uh, accomplishments of uh, the Bengali community. And that's one of the reasons we uh, wanted Mo to come on, because I think what he's doing is amazing. Um, I have to say, I, I'm not as touched with the, uh, Bangladeshi history as I should be. Uh, right. I think growing yeah. up, a lot of us are parents tell us about the war, the, the parents that, that have, you know, that lived through the war. And yeah. we, as, as young, as when we're young, we kind of roll our eyes and um, don't pay attention to it. But as I get older, I start thinking more about um, uh, why well, it is a big part of our history, right? Everything that went on during that time. Um, and I'm glad there's a page uh, that you started this page to kind of highlight that. Well, yeah, thank you, man. I really, I really appreciate that. And the, the whole objective of the page is just that. Um, so for me, like to st my sort of motivation behind starting the page is really that uh, I find that a lot of us young people and children, especially in the diaspora, we aren't really aware of the history or if we know it, we know it in a very like g general sense or in generic terms. But there's a lot of like little nuggets of information that I personally, I don't know, I find very interesting. And so for me, it's really a way to showcase all of that and bring mm -hmm. it out. So, Mo, quick question for you. Like, did you, um, so by the way, guys, Mo is not from New York City. He's actually yeah. from Canada and um, he's actually joining us from <laughs> Canada today. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's a Justin Trudeau fan. <laughs> Just like we all are. Justin Trudeau all day. <laughs> okay. So, uh, let me ask you, like, did you um, grow up in Canada or you, like, moved here yeah. before? So, I was, I was born in Bangladesh uh, okay. and I moved to Canada when I was uh, six, six years old. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and then, so my parents, uh, my father moved first and then my mother and I, we moved in 99. Okay. Um, so yeah, most of my, like in terms of growing up, I grew up most of my, uh, like childhood and uh, teenagers or adult life was in Canada. So yeah, awesome. well, so, I wasn't born. Yeah. That's the same as me and Cam. I mean, I think I moved here when I was four back in 99, ironically. Oh really? And, yeah. Yeah. I was here in 99. And then how about you, Cam? Uh, I came in 90. I'm older. So I came in 90, uh, when I was six. But I, interestingly, I love Canada. I, used, I, I call myself the Fresh Prince of Etobicoke because uh, I used to spend all my summers in, uh, in Toronto as yeah. a kid. I grew up in Brooklyn, but I spent all my summers in Canada, and I just love it. There. It was beautiful. People were so much nicer. It's like the, Man. Toronto is like the nicer, cleaner version of, of New York, I would say. Yeah, that's, that's so strange because I was actually um, I was actually working in Toronto this past, this past summer, and the, the firm I was working for, they're actually located in Etobicoke. 
So oh. it was my first time going to Toronto, like in terms of like going there for a long term. So I don't have any family in New York or Toronto, which is like strange for like a Bengali kid because like mm-hmm. every other Bengali person I know either has yeah, like, like either even, family. Yeah. Even yeah, I have exactly, family there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, going back to the page, so what's, uh, what's something that you've discovered during your research uh, for the page that really uh, surprised you? Well, I think for me, the one, uh, it's always, I don't know if it's one particular thing. It's always little nuggets of information I find here and there. But I think the, if there's one thing I could point to is really the fact that when I was, you know, researching a little bit more about the liberation war and like the language movement and all these like key parts and components of Bangladeshi history, you realize that the struggle to create what today is Bangladesh, it wasn't just a struggle that was limited to geographic, geographically to Bangladesh. It was really an international struggle. So you had members of the diaspora, the Bengali diaspora worldwide that really were involved in making it, you know, making what Bangladesh what it is today. And so when we speak about Bangladeshi history, it's not just, you know, this history of people who live in Bangladesh. It's also our history of children who, who are in the diaspora or across the world. That's interesting. Have you uh, come across uh, anything related to what the international um, response was to the war? I'm always curious about that. Every yeah. time when you talk, when I talk <clears throat> to my older coworkers and I say I'm from Bangladesh, the older yeah. ones always bring up the Beatles and the George Harrison concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the one in New York, yeah. Exactly, and they are, they know Bangladesh from that. And yeah. I'm wondering, around that time, I know that I know. I think the U.S. was actually took Pakistan's side during the war. But do you have do you have any? Can you shed some light on on what the international response was to the war? Yeah, so there was a, a huge international response, particularly in places where uh, the Bengali and the Bangladeshi diaspora. I don't think like Bangladeshi is the right term because obviously it wasn't. It was before seventy, like it was during uh, during the seventy one before independence. So, uh, but in 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 particular places where the Bengali community was large, particularly in in the United Kingdom and um, in the U.S., there was a lo- there was really a, a significant response. Uh, so one of the the posts I made on on the page. Uh, Bangladesh story is about the uh, stop the war, uh, stop the genocide, recognize Bangladesh rally at Trafalgar, uh, Trafalgar Square, which was in August 1971. So smack in the middle of, of the conflict. Um, and this is basically a, an initiative that, w- that was taken by the British Bengali community um, in London. And they organized, they, they regularly organized protests in places like Hyde Park, places like Trafalgar Square. And what they had is in every major city in the UK, particularly in London and Birmingham, they set up these things called action committees. So these were like small committees made up of uh, members of the Bengali community that would go out and they would uh, create different uh, platforms and different projects. So whether it's lobbying uh, local governments, national governments, whether it's writing letters to their you know elected representatives, whether it's marching, a lot of these uh, initiatives were taken by the, the, the expatriate Bangladeshis or Bengalis at the time um and it's the same in new york obviously like the george harrison concert the the concert for bangladesh is that's the one that's most famously known but you have a lot of these committees that was that were set up and even in new york and washington so interestingly enough uh two particular instances i can uh, that was really interesting to me when i was doing the research on that is uh one was uh from uh, dr fukuridin ahmed who was uh, he was the chief caretaker in, in the in the, the bangladesh provisional uh the the provisional government that was set up in 2009 uh, but he was actually a student at Princeton. Uh, so he did his doctorate uh, from Princeton in the U.S. And he actually wrote a letter in a, in a, a national newspaper while he was a student at, uh, at Princeton in 1971. And he was describing the de- in detail what was going on um, in East Pakistan and what was happening there. 
Um, and the other really prominent example is Mohammed Yunus, obviously, who's, uh, who's the, the Nobel Prize winner, Peace Prize winner for Bangladesh. But uh, so he was also part of one of these committees. So there was a, the, the response was pretty significant. How old was Mohammed Yunus at that time? I, I don't actually recall how old he was, but he was still a student at Vanderbilt, if, if I recall correctly. So he oh, wow. he, he was uh, he was just finishing his, his postgraduate studies uh, studies at uh, at Vanderbilt, and he was just he was not yet uh, a full fledged economist. Right. Um, so but yeah, he got that, his PhD from there, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did, he did, yeah, yeah. So he uh, he while he was in the U.S. also started or organizing these committees and these and and these were like very small scale initiatives. So often it would be just in some person's basement, uh, and there was actually a very interesting book. Um, it's called Probashe Katur Dingoli, so the days of '71 abroad. I don't actually recall who the author of the book is. I can look that up, but uh, that book is is really interesting because it outlines the struggle and the sort of the uh, the participation of expatriates expatriate Bengalis in the liberation struggle. Okay. So you mentioned some of the the key people, Muhammad um, Yunus, yeah. uh, the the other gentleman, and I think a lot of all of us uh, we know Sheikh Mazibur Rahman. Yeah. Is, are there any other key people that were involved in the war that you think uh, people, uh, you know, should be aware of? Yeah. So for me personally, I mean, I have people that I find whose stories I personally find inspiring. Obviously, you have like the people like the Sheikh Mujibur Rahmans and like that people know on a larger scale. Uh, but I think if I can name three people, I think it would for me that I personally found uh, their journey to be very inspiring and their participation in the conflict in the initiative and the freedom movement to be very, very inspiring. Uh, the first one would be uh, General Ajay Musmani. So he was um, he was actually the leader of the Bangladesh forces during the Liberation War. So th the war was actually fought on the Bangladesh side uh, by a joint initiative between the Bangladesh and the Indian forces. And so he was the the commander in chief of the the um, the Bangladesh forces. And he actually used to be a general in the Pakistan Army. And the reason why I really like his story a lot is because he was someone who, even before uh, the, the, the independence struggle started, he was someone who advocated very strongly in favor of Bengali um, uh, servicemen and Bengali soldiers in the Pakistan army. So if, if you guys know a little bit about uh, the history, you know that there was a lot of discrimination uh, done to the Bengalis uh, from 1947, so from partition up until 1971. And one of the, the sectors in which the discrimination was very prominent was in the armed forces. So Bengalis wouldn't be enlisted because they were seen as weaker or, or not, um, or not well-trained enough or not, uh, not, not um, trained for war. And this goes back to the martial race theory that was set up by the British and expanded by the Pakistanis. And he was someone who really uh, advocated for Bengali-only regiments. And he's someone who insisted on having his daily briefings delivered to him in Bangla. He made uh, the, the song uh, Chol 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 by Qasim Nuzul Islam as the marching uh, song for his, uh, for his regiment. And eventually when the war kicked on, he was really one of the instrumental uh, sort of symbolic figures who, uh, who led on. And uh, his, um, so the, if you, he's actually from Silet in Bangladesh. So if you go to Silet today, the Osmania General Airport, uh, the International Airport, sorry, is named after him. Um, um, the yeah. medical college is named after him. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of uh, monuments in uh, in Silet and in London actually where he passed away. Um, they're also uh, named after him. And uh, the two other people that I really 
uh, that whose stories I really want to highlight and I really found inspiring were uh, these two women. So one was uh, this woman by the name of Taramon Bibi, and the other one was a uh, a woman by the name of Captain Sitara Khan. And both of them were actually actually Muktijodhas. They were actually freedom fighters. Um, so they both fought in the war, and they were the they were the uh, the only two women who have received the Bir Pratik, which is Bangladesh's highest um, um, civilian honor, and they received it uh, for their contribution to the to the freedom struggle. So for me, that was a really interesting thing because if we just started talking about how much women have contributed to contributed to making Bangladesh an independent country, I mean, this podcast could go on for three days. It's wow. it's yeah it's amazing and it's it's something that's often undermined or often not looked at uh, or not highlighted enough, but these two people are really uh, super inspiring in terms of their contribution to the war. So one thing you talked about earlier is the the discrimination and so that's really interesting about yeah. uh, the discrimination in the army uh, and I, I never thought about that. Uh, it, it sounds like um, I guess a, a version of apartheid. I guess where um, there's a group of people living in a country that don't have the same rights. Yeah. What What other types of discrimination did uh, did the people in Bangladesh face? Yeah. Well, generally, the, the the discrimination itself, if you really research the roots of it, it goes back to when the British used to rule over the subcontinent, and they established this thing called the martial race theory, where they sort of classified different ethnic groups and different races within the subcontinent um, in their own way. And they said, okay, so these are martial races. So for instance, they had the Gurkhas who were like an ethnic or ethnocultural group in the north of India. And they classified them as being, uh, you know, very suited for war. Whereas the Bengalis, by contrast, just to give an example, were seen as this like, uh, to put it in, in pretty crude terms, they were seen as being effeminate and not being able to fight. And effectively, when the British left and, uh, you know, it resulted in partition, the military and the political establishment in erstwhile West Pakistan took that theory and carried it forward. And the discrimination was prominent in pretty much all sectors. So you had obviously the army, but you also had uh, something like in terms of the resources that were allocated uh, to East Pakistan as opposed to West Pakistan. East Pakistan made up over 60% of the population of what was then the country of Pakistan. And despite that, they got a very meager amount of resources, international aid. Uh, there was discrimination in terms of the civil services, in terms of people that were hired, uh, like I said, in the military. And just generally, there was this um, um, this attitude not by the people necessarily of, of Pakistan, but particularly the military and the, the political establishment that, that saw sort of the, 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 the people of East Pakistan as being this sort of uh, second-class citizens. And so that coupled with the struggle to make Bangla the state, uh, to, to, to make Bangla state language really amplified the disparities between the two wings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So like, when when we bring the liberation war into into limelight right now, yeah, um, you did mention some of the key peoples. What would you say were like some of the more prominent events of the liberation war? Um, I think so. There's a lot of key events in terms of the individual battles that were fought. So you have something like a, I don't know, like Operation Jackpot, which was a, an operation that was carried out by the Mukti Bahini, in which they sort of and the Mukti Bahini, just to, for clarification, they're the Bengali guerrilla freedom fighters who were. Um, uh, the ones who were fighting the war on behalf of Mangalish. 
And then eventually you had, so, so you had something like that. You also had something like um, the, uh, Operation Intercontinental, which was, uh, inter Hotel inter Intercontinental was the largest hotel in Dhaka during the Liberation War, like during that period. And they essentially stormed the hotel uh, in a guerrilla sort of operation in order to destabilize the armed forces. But um, additionally to that, you had a, a number of movements that were being carried out internationally in terms of events. Um, so I've already mentioned the, uh, the, the rally in Trafalgar Square. Uh, there are a number of other events that were being carried out by the expatriate Bengalis to, uh, that were aimed at two things. First of all, at uh, gaining international support um, in support of the, um, the freedom movement in Bangladesh. And secondly, gaining international recognition for Bangladesh as a sovereign state. Um, so I think in terms of events, the, these, all, all of these events pay a key role in terms of uh, concretizing the freedom movement at the end. Okay, uh, so you, you mentioned, uh, sorry, you mentioned the guerrilla fighters. I'm curious, how uh, did they receive training? Uh, where did they receive weapons? Yeah. Um, I'm assuming these are mostly students and farmers. How do they, how do they learn how to use these weapons? Well, actually, uh, the, the composition of a lot of the, the guerrilla forces were made up of the, 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 leader of the, the leaders of the forces individually in the, the regiments were actually um, former army men. So they're either former members of the Pakistan Armed Forces that defected to the, uh, to the, the Bengali side. Um, so there's actually a very interesting documentary on that on YouTube called Khalid's War, uh, who talks about um, this gentleman by the name of Khalid Musharraf, who was a uh, major Khalid Musharraf, who was one of the, the sectoral commanders of the, uh, the Bangladesh uh, Armed Forces during the Liberation War. Um, but in terms of the training, a lot of it was provided by India. So a lot of the, um, the guerrilla fighters crossed the border into India and were provided training by the Indian Armed Forces. Um, and the arms that they had were either arms that they took from the Pakistani soldiers or arms that were provided to them by India. So they were, uh, they were given a lot of training by the Indian Army and uh, by the, the, paramil the paramilitary forces um, over on that side of the border. But even within uh, Bangladesh, you had uh, people that had military experience. So General Osmani, I gave was an example. Uh, you had someone like a Major Khalid Musharraf is an exa another example. Uh, uh, Major uh, Salik Chaudhary is an example. So there were all uh, former army men who provided training to these uh, two students and to uh, peasants, if you will, who, who joined the, the freedom movement. Right. Like General Osmani yeah, even yeah. served in World War II. Yeah, he really. He was experienced. Yeah, exactly. So, he was he was, uh, oh. so it's interesting because he actually was one of the, uh, one of the foremost uh, experienced members of the Pakistan army. So uh, him, the regiment that he created, the East Bengal Rifles or the East Pakistan Rifles at the time, is actually the highest or the most decorated regiment within, used to be the most decorated regiment within, within the Pakistan army. And uh, he, so the price that he sort of paid for that, for his support to the, uh, to uh, fighting for the rights of Bengalis within the armed forces is that he wouldn't get promoted higher than general. And they said, okay, well, if you keep doing this, then we're just going to, the highest you can go is general. We're not going to promote you any higher. And he agreed to that. So he remained a general, although he could have been a, you know, even he could have gone even higher in terms of for his, for his rank and his experience. Yeah, he could have gone a lot higher. I'm sorry, are you saying that while he was supporting the Bengali movement, he was still a general? In the, well, he was already a uh, general. So, uh, like even before the uh, independence war was launched, so he was already advocating for okay. the rights of Bengali soldiers within the Pakistan army. And the military establishment okay. and the gotcha. administration weren't really too uh, responsive or appreciative of that. Gotcha. So yeah, the... this goes back, yeah. This goes back into martial race, where 
um, the Pakistani army did not think that yeah. most Bengalis are capable of, you know, being such great army officers. But Osmani actually yeah. convocated, like he was on their side, which is why they said, if you continue to support them, if you continue to train them, you're not going to be a brigadier yeah. general, exactly. which is probably going to be a general, we'll never promote did, you. And he took that blow. He's like, did, I'm okay did he survive the war? And uh, do you have, uh, do you know what he's uh, done? Yeah, he, so basically he, um, he survived the war. So he was made a, he was actually part of the, uh, of the government created, like the first Bangladeshi government under Sheikh Mujibur Rahman. And I don't actually recall which exact post he occupied. I, I, I think that he was, I don't think he was Minister of Defense, but he definitely occupied a key position. And he was with Sheikh Mujib until Sheikh Mujib uh, installed Bakshal, which was basically a, a sort of a one-party rule. Um, um, it was in 1974, if I recall correctly. So after that, he sort of got uh, disheartened by what was going on in the, in the political scene in Bangladesh, and he just sort of retired on his own. And uh, he, he went to London for treatment, and he passed away in London. But yeah, he definitely, yeah, he survived the war. Well, what, so I've always been interested in India's role in the yeah. independence movement. Now, I think that some people um, might be pessimistic and say it was to their advantage that Pakistani be, um, you yeah. know, divided in two, uh, East Pakistan and West Pakistan. What are your thoughts on why India provided support to the to the movement, and was it entirely, um, you know, um, altruistic or? Yeah, no, I think uh, there was definitely geostrategic and geopolitical interests at play there. I mean, of course, India had a from a political perspective, India definitely had a had an had an interest in having pockets geostrategically. If you look at it, I mean, because they were surrounded on both sides, which were then considered to be a quote unquote enemy state. So obviously. If if they could if um, Pakistan could be divided into two, that worked to their advantage. But I think um, when you analyze the situation, you can't ignore the fact that there was a uh, sort of altruistic or a, a, a humanitarian element there, because India did give refuge to a number of of uh, Bengalis who left uh, Pakistan during the war, East Pakistan during the war, and who sought refuge in uh, in, in India, particularly in West Bengal. Um, so there is that side to it, which needs to be considered, but I, I don't think that looking at it as a purely humanitarian initiative is, um, is, is entirely correct. Was there a movement, uh, or voices within Pakistan that were, that were against the war and were those voices, um, significant enough to impact any, any decision making? Um, I mean, I, I, there were definitely voices from what I know from uh, having spoken to my Pakistani friends. It's that uh, so one one example is uh, Faiz Ahmed Faiz, who is one of who's one of Pakistan's very famous poets. And he wrote a lot about uh, the atrocities during the war. And there are many um, voices within Pakistan, within different elements of Pakistani society, particularly the civil society that were criticizing the actions of the army. But I think the main reason why uh, they're, they're, these voices are minorities because a majority of the populace in Pakistan was very much unaware of what was going on um, or, or the actions that were being carried out by the army in East Pakistan because of uh, government propaganda, because of military propaganda. Um, as a result, they weren't really aware of what was going on. They just saw that, oh, this is a war with India and India is trying to, uh, you know, to, to influence the Bengalis to instigate them against us uh, without understanding that there was a history of discrimination that led up to that point. Uh, but there were, yes, to answer your Correct. question, there were definitely voices within Pakistan that uh, that stood up. Okay. Um, yeah. See, the Liberation War, in, in my opinion, had, like, of course, it's still the single biggest event in Bangladesh history. And um, 
so many amazing people came together. You know, we have Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, we have Muhammad Yunus, and um, you know, we have General Usmani. Yeah. What would you say are just like some prominent facts or like something that what interested you? You know. Yeah, for me, I, I think so. I'll, the answer really is twofold. So, for one, I've always been interested as in terms of understanding Bangladeshi history and Bengali history. Um, I mean, whenever someone asks me about Bangladesh or the, the history of Bangladesh, I always tell them that, you know, our history isn't 40 odd years old. I mean, Bangladesh only got independence in 1971, and that's mean it's 47, 48 years. But our history isn't just that. Our history is 3,000 years old. As a, as a civilization, as what we've brought to the world as Bengalis, I mean, our history is, is, is thousands of years old. And for me, we are the inheritors of all of that. And so that's what initially piqued my interest into looking further into it. Um, in terms of the Liberation War specifically, I think that the major events or the major takeaway from it is to, to look at it from the fact that this was really a collective effort, uh, not just to gain independence or create a new nation or a, a nation where Bengalis could speak their language or we could have a, um, you know, a free state of our own, but also to create a country where you would have social justice, when you would have economic justice, where you would have uh, values like feminism. Values that, are, that, we, that really resonate with young people today. These were things that were being talked about during the Liberation War by many people uh, in different parts of society. If you read up on it, you'll find that a lot of them were leftists who were saying that we want to create a Marxist society. Others were saying we want to create a society that's not necessarily Marxist, but we still want socioeconomic justice. So there's all of these elements that come together. Um, and the other uh, point that I really would like to mention is one of my other motivations for creating this page is we need to be able to control our own narrative because given that it's our story, no one's going to be able to tell your story better than you. And whoever tells the story is the one who controls the narrative. And so I think I'm a firm believer in the fact that as Bengalis, as Bangladeshis, we need to learn about our own history in order to be able to control our own narrative and to be able to tell our story to the world. And that's why the whole Bangladesh story concept comes from this idea that uh, it's, it is our story. It's all our story from, you know, people in Bangladesh today, people in the diaspora, we all are, you know, either contributed or are inheritors of, of that struggle. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, really good point. And, and, you know, our conversation today was focused a lot on the war, but obviously we've, we as a people have been around for thousands of years, like you, yeah. like you said, and for, uh, other than your Instagram page, which you will mention again, what other, uh, books, uh, articles do you think do, can people yeah. read to learn more about our history? Um, so there's one I'm currently reading right now, which is the the Blood Telegram by uh, Gary Bass. So um, I'm going to mention a lot of the English sources. There are, of course, sources in Bangla, but because most of the sources I read in English, so I'm just going to keep it uh, limited to the, the English language books and, and sources. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, the Blood Telegram by Gary Bass, which is a really good book, it really details, uh, it's a first-hand account of what was going on in East Pakistan during the war. Um, there was also, um, um, there's also a book by Jahanar Imam, which is, uh, it's called, it, well, it's the, it, the original work is in Bangla. It's called, um, so the days of 71. And this is basically, I have a post about her on, on the page, and this is basically a, a wartime diary. So she was a, the mother of one of the freedom fighters, um, Shafi Islam Rumi, and she actually wrote a diary during the liberation war. And her diary was translated, and uh, it's it's a first-hand account of what was going on in the war. So if you're really interested in learning about people that actually lived through the war and experienced it, those two books would definitely be a, a very interesting read. Um, in terms of articles and um, secondary sources um, relating to the war, relating to Bangladesh in general, one author I would definitely recommend is Naeem Mohaimin, who's, uh, I think he's actually 
he's from Bangladesh, but he works a lot in New York, if I'm not mistaken. And he has a lot of very, very okay. interesting articles and very interesting perspectives on the history of the war and history of Bangladesh in general. So these three sources would definitely be a, a go-to. And uh, one last thing that I would really recommend in terms of visual, I think it, there's this very interesting documentary. It's an hour long. It's on YouTube. Um, and it's called uh, The Bangladesh Story Under Three Flags. So my Instagram page, I, I take a lot of inspiration from that particular documentary as well. Um, and it's an English language documentary, which sort of uh, tells the story of Bangladesh from the British up until a few years after independence, so until like 1975 or so. Um, and that, in, that documentary is super informative because you hear live interviews from people who were involved in the, the liberation movement. Okay, and we'll repost a lot of awesome, these uh, awesome. sources uh, on on when Mo is featured on our page. Mo uh, Mo's will be featured on our on our Instagram yeah. page, and in that in that post, we'll re re list some of these sources. So, and and uh, on that note, um, Mo, just let people know what your Instagram page, the Bangladeshi uh, history Instagram page, yeah. is called. So you could just go uh, on Instagram. So it's Bangladesh dot story. So that's it's pretty simple. It's called Bangladesh story. So it's literally Bangladesh dot story, and it's all in, in in small caps. And you could just uh, uh, check it out. Um, and also, just before I go, I really want to give a shout out to Boney. You guys are, are really the first place that it's really that is really fitting this page. But just generally, you guys, um, I've been following uh, Bengalis of New York for a while. And uh, just from, our, from on a personal note, the work that you guys do is, is super inspiring. The way that you guys feature uh, Bengalis from New York and just from, from everywhere, really, from different walks of life. Uh, it's a page that I personally find inspiring. And when I was making my page for Bangladesh Story, I took a lot of sort of inspiration from the work that you guys do as well. We appreciate it, we, and we appreciate that we have people outside of New York uh, and outside of wow, the country wow, listening to us. Um, so uh, thanks for your time. It was really informative. No, no, thank you guys. Absolutely. Um, Pleasure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Mo. Uh, for, uh, for All right. Thank you, guys. Later. Take care.